our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, just as a reminder to those uh, sitting here, of course, uh, those of you listening uh, by radio or Facebook or whatever, uh, got reminded tonight, you know, uh, one of the ladies mentioned to me that she caught the show uh, on WLRY uh, on Friday. She said, I thought you were only on Mondays. We were on Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 9 a.m., uh, five days a week. So, uh, you can follow us on there, or if you want to follow the studies on the radio show, are designed for radio, so they kind of overlap each other. So just to give you a heads up on that, if you want the full thing, you got to go to the Marn website, download the, the thing, and plus you can get the notes and everything else there. So uh, that said, just wanted to remind you of that if you wanted to catch the radio show. Last chapter, Paul was dealing with crazy teaching in the Corinthian church, which they weren't short of. Uh, just a lot of strange stuff, not unlike today. You know, we have uh, see a lot of crazy stuff being taught, and, and it was just prevalent. And of course, he dealt with the issue of marriage, divorce, remarriage, and went in quite a bit of a uh, in-depth on that. But here in chapter 8, Paul begins to touch on another issue. And so let's dive into verse 1 here of chapter 8, 1 Corinthians. He says, now touching things... Offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. If you're taking notes, make note of that. He says we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity, which I like that word because in some of your Bibles it probably just says love. But in reality it means love and action. So it's not just love. It's love and action. But he says it edifies, and that means love builds up. That should always be our goal is to build one another up in the love and admonition of the Lord. But knowledge, Paul's contrasting here between love and knowledge. Paul gives us this contrast. And, it's, and, I, and I do think it's interesting that he said, we know that we all have knowledge. Everybody has knowledge. Everybody sitting here, everybody listening to me has knowledge. And some of us think we got more than <laughs> we probably do, you know, as Paul's going to go on to say. And which is probably most of us. And, but it can be a destructive thing. In the city of Corinth, they were dealing with, with the problem of idolatry. This was the city that it was just given to it. It was a great place for a church, which is why the Lord put Paul there to start one. But it was given to idolatry and had been for many centuries, even by that time. And it was so widespread that regardless of the marketplace, if you were a Christian and you went into the marketplace just to buy groceries and you bought meat, it was a fair bet that some of the meat that you would purchase in that marketplace at that time would have been offered to an idol. And the reason that they did that was because when these people would go to the temples, and there was many of them, and they would offer, they would take you know, a whole lamb or whatever the requirement was, and then it was slaughtered, but it wasn't just cooked. They'd, the priest of the temple would keep his portion. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? And then he would... <laughs> give the rest of it back to them. Well, a lot of those people who were sacrificing would actually take those animals back and then sell them to the marketplace. And so the, it was nothing for them to uh, have meat that was there available for sale that had been offered to an idol. There were Christians who were trying to buy dinner and they knew of this practice. They grew up around it. They understood it. 
We're going to look at it a little bit more in depth here just in a minute, but the temples actually had restaurants in them. Uh, you know, not unlike what we know today. I mean, it was, uh, I don't know what they called them. <laughs> I was going to crack a joke. My jokes always fail anyway. But, but they really did. And so these Christians who grew up in that understood that this paganism was prevalent there in Corinth. And so if you were just trying to get a hamburger or whatever it was uh, that you were trying to get to eat, it was a pretty fair bet that you were going to wind up with something that was offered to an idol. And this presented a great difficulty for many Christians. So, there were other Christians, though, in contrast to the ones who had a problem with it. And we were, I was talking a little bit with my wife before we came down today, and I said, it is interesting to me that however you start in Jesus, when you come to Christ, you know, if you were really bad in your estimation, because we're all born into sin, we know that, but some of us lived a life that's pretty outside of, you know, it's just bad. A lot of times when we come to Christ, we want to be really good. So we tend to go totally the other way, you know, and... But eventually, as you grow in the Lord, we find that we come to that equilibrium. You know, we grow up in Christ and we, we come to that. But my point is, is that at Corneth, there were Christians who, because they had lived in the pagan system, was totally detested by it. And when they would go to buy meat, they knew that some of this meat had been offered to idols. It bothered them. I don't blame them. It would have bothered me. They didn't want to participate in it. Now, in contrast to that, there were older Christians there at Corinth, too, who had a completely different knowledge. And their knowledge was in maturity. They had grown up in the Lord. They had grown up in the liberty of the Lord. And it didn't bother them at all because they knew that the idol was nothing. The problem with it, though, was that it became a source of pride to them. I've seen it happen even in our time. It was prideful because, well, we have knowledge. You see, we've studied the scriptures long enough and we know the Lord well enough that we know that we can do whatever we want because all things are lawful to me, not all things, you know, and that kind of thing. And that can become a source of pride. And it was with them. But Paul says here that it was creating a problem. Paul says that knowledge puffs up, and it does, but charity edifies. So in saying this, Paul was pointing his finger really at the extreme libertarians, of which I would consider myself. I believe in the liberty of Christ. Paul tells us to stand fast in the liberty wherein Christ is called us and be not entangled again with a yoke of bondage. We don't want to be in bondage. You know, nobody wants to go back into Judaism, you know, living by laws and regulations. We don't want that. It doesn't work. Matter of fact, it has quite the opposite effect. But Paul goes on here in verse 2. He says, And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. It's been said by greater men than me that when a man thinks that he knows something and boasts of it, it's a pretty fair indicator that he doesn't know anything, at least how he ought to know. Shakespeare, if you've read any of his, has an interesting quote, and I'll give it to you. He says, but man, poor, proud man, most ignorant of what he is the most assured of. And that's so true. Men are always assured of some things and most of the things that they're actually ignorant of. And it's sad. It's always amazed me at the lack of knowledge in a particular area and those who proclaim to profess it. 
A lot of times we call them charlatans. It's an old term, but that's what it means to possess, just to say you possess a knowledge that you really don't have. And when I was younger, in my uh, business years, I was very privileged uh, to work in a scientific field. And I was surrounded by educated people, highly educated people, PhDs. And it always amazed me because a lot of times, you know, I would go to these guys because they were my guys. I mean, you know, that's why we hired them. And get the big letters after your name because we want big answers, you know. And so often when you, when you would have something you needed a big answer to, you'd go to them and they'd go, I don't know. You go, what? What do you mean you don't know? And I would, you know, it kind of chide them about it. But the fact is at least they were being honest. And so they would admit that even in their area of expertise, they didn't know everything. And you find that out pretty quick. But they would have these great fields of study that they were proficient in. And then you would have to hear them proclaim that they really didn't know everything there was. I remember one time we were touring with the band, and this is many, many years ago, and uh, had a young man who was my keyboard player. I actually had two of them, but he, was, he had this setup on stage. It was huge. I mean, it was like those big, like three or four tiers of pianos and and he had organs on this side, and he had all the power, and it was awesome looking. And I remember on stage one night, we were actually doing it, it was a big concert, and, and I was just looking at his side of the stage, I'm going, man, this guy takes up like one truck by himself. And I was looking at all the little blinking lights, and I remember asking him, I said, hey, Ronnie, I said, out of all the stuff, the true story, this is funny, I said, out of all the stuff, that, because I mean, how much money you got tied up in that? And he goes, and this was back in you know, the 90s. And he said, probably about 25000 <laughs> Wow. I said, so out of all that technology, what capacity do you think you're using it at? And he said, about 5%. <laughs> he was honest, you know, and it's so true. You know, he, he was using it at about 5%. And so even in our knowledge, you know, a lot of times when we think we know something, we really don't know as much as we think we do. And this is what Paul's getting at. You know, it's easy to, to fall into that. Everybody has their personal proficiency place that they think. Now, mine, if I have one, would be the Bible. And second to that would be textual criticism, if I have any. But I can tell you, I've been teaching the Bible for almost 40 years. And I know that there's more I don't know than there is that what I do know. It's just a fact. I have a problem with scholarship in religion. I do. I don't have a problem with scholarship outside of that. Because academics is good. I've had to work with it. I've had to hire people that have lots of it. But in Christendom, when we put our stock in scholarship, when you put your stock in that, you are eliminating, I believe, in my humble opinion, the power of the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of those. Because God does not call the equipped, my friends. He equips the called. Those that are, are those that do. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that God ordains and calls those, as Paul's going to say here in a little bit. But it's not according to knowledge. Now, I've been privileged. I've had a lot of guys that I've worked with in the ministry who are educated men. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I remember reading a book, and you always probably know Greg Laurie. You know, he's getting to be pretty famous now, kind of taken over for Billy Graham. He wrote an interesting book. If you want to read it, it's really good. It's called Lost Child. It's about his life and the things that he's been through. Greg Laurie pastors one of the largest churches in America. 
He's also one of the best evangelists. Franklin Graham's on his board. And the fact is, is Greg Laurie went to high school. That's it. That's what he's got. But look at what God's done with it. You see, that's the point. It doesn't matter whether you have it or whether you don't have it. It's what is God doing with you at this moment. Because God will use anybody who is available. It's not your ability, it's your availability that God wants. So, as Bible teachers, we don't know as much as we think we do. We know enough, though, to know that we don't know it all. Nobody does know it all. But we know enough. So Paul says, if any man thinks that he knows anything, if he's assured of that, he knows nothing as he ought to know. Because if you really did know, you would know that you don't know. That's a fact. Look at verse 3. He says, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is only one God. For though there be them that are called gods, small g, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So remember, Paul's saying, you know, charity edifies, it builds up. That's love in action. Knowledge, knowledge can puff up. If any man loves God, he says the same is known by him. Paul says that we know these things are idols. We know they're nothing. They have no power. They have nothing. They're, they're just stone. We know that. There's only one true God and one living Lord, Jesus Christ. Howbeit, verse 7, he says, There is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. What Paul's going to go on here, and as we get further into this, what he's going to start talking about is how we engage with each other in the issue of liberty. You know, how far do I take that? We're kind of dealing with that now even as a society, in our country anyway. In that... Where my rights stop is where it begins to infringe upon yours and vice versa. You don't hear that much anymore. Most of us who have grew, grew up in, in, in a, a school system that actually taught civil, you know, uh, civics, we, we learned that, you know, that your rights are actually, you, you, you got to watch it when they begin to intrude upon somebody else's right. Now uh, we just see fighting and bickering and people demanding their right in disregard to your rights. They don't care. But this is not the way Paul's teaching. And Paul says, no, 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 we, we need to be concerned about that. Not that he would put a, a yoke of bondage on us, not that he's bringing us into bondage, but the, that we just want to walk in liberty, especially when dealing with a brother or a sister who might not be as far along in their walk in the Lord as what we are. You know. So he, he gives this example. Not every man has this knowledge, Paul says. There are those in Corinth that grew up in this pagan system, this pagan culture, practicing idolatry. It was something that they did on a daily basis. I mean, we go out to dinner. Families at that time would go out to dinner. But where would they go? They would go to the temple. And they would eat in the temple restaurants, literally. And they would fellowship there. They would do their idols. They would do, and they would have this, like going to church. you know. And that's what they would do. And they grew up in it. And a lot of these people 
having come to Christ, of course, were having a problem with it. And it was creating this issue. And, 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 and those around them who were practicing liberty were causing a problem. And Paul is pointing this out. He says, but meat, look at verse 8, commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. So whether we eat or whether we don't eat is, is irrelevant, Paul says. It has nothing to do, no impact whatsoever on my spiritual condition or my relationship with God. It matters not. Even today, once again, this issue of eating and not eating has come up it, within the body of Christ and even outside of it. How many times do we see the, the raging vegans, you know, running into stores and protesting at the, the slaughter of frozen turkeys and, uh, you know, all kinds of craziness, you know, demanding that those of us who partake in carnivorous activities, uh, you know, give those up, you know, for their sake and vice versa, maybe. But it's crazy. So we see it even today. But meat does not commend us to God, Paul says. It's, it's irrelevant. Has no impact. But take heed, he said, lest by any means, and you'll notice in your Bibles if you're using a KJV, he says, take heed lest this liberty of yours, you see that? This liberty of yours. What liberty is he talking about? He's talking about those who were mature, those who were the older Christian, who said to his wife, hey, hon, you know, I know that it's the temple of Baal, but they got the best burgers in town. Let's go get a cheeseburger. I'm joking about the cheeseburger. But they would do that. And they would go down there because why? They were so mature in the Lord. They understood that there's no God named Baal. There really isn't. It's a piece of stone. They had no problem with it. So they could literally go into that place, sit down and have dinner, maybe take the kids, and they could enjoy the meal, and it never even crossed their mind. Paul said, take heed that that liberty of yours... Watch it, he says, that it become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man sees thee which has knowledge sit at meat in, a temple, in an idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? Oh. Paul's hit the nail on the head. Now he's, now he's drawing, he's putting it in my plate. Now he's putting it at our feet, going, hey, how are you acting towards a brother who might be weaker than the Lord? Are you walking in charity? That is, are you trying to build up a brother instead of tearing them down? And so often we can do that by flaunting a liberty. We can. And I think it's a fine line sometimes because it's hard to understand, you see, especially in our day and time. Where do I draw the line? You know? And so often people don't draw the line. They just don't care. And that was, it's not good. One of the areas that you can, because you, know, you can extrapolate this out in so many different areas, but one of the ones that's most prevalent within the body of Christ is the issue of drinking. Let's face it. And if I ask 10 people, they're going to give me 10 different answers on this. All I know is what the Bible says. I realize there's no issue. There really isn't. How be it? If you have the ability and in your conscience, you have a good conscience toward God and, and, and it has no impact on you. You know, you've never been in bondage to it. You're not an alcoholic, whatever the case may be, and you enjoy that, go ahead. I think the Bible would say it's okay. 
I find no place of prohibition in the Bible. What we do find, though, is that if you decide to exercise that liberty in front of a brother or a sister who has had a problem, the problem that might arise, I'm not saying that it will absolutely, but the problem that could arise is that, as Paul says, they see you in your liberty, and because you're older in Christ, they go, well, he's doing it. So maybe, maybe it will be okay. And the next thing you know, because they had a problem, maybe they're in bondage. Maybe they're wiped out by it. Maybe their whole life is disrupted. Why? Because you decided to exercise your liberty. Now, I had a guy one time when I was preaching, he said, after work, he said man, that, you know, you're laying a guilt trip on me, brother. I said, no, it's not me. I didn't write it. And listen, Paul's not saying, because so often you know, what we hear in Christians is, well, should I alter my way of life? just to please some young brother in the Lord. And that's not what Paul's saying at all. You know, Paul's saying, be conscious. Be conscious of the, of the people that you're around. I'll give you a story, and, and it's a true one, and, and it's one that I don't really like to tell, but I, but, I, but I will tell it. Years ago, when I was pastoring Calvary Chapel, you know, we would send people down to Mexico. We had mission trip to Mexico. Everybody goes to Mexico. And... Because our ministry was big, we had a lot of people from other churches that were involved with us. People from different types of churches, Pentecostal, Lutheran. They were there. They were friends of ours. So we decided we were sending down a contingency down there. Now, I had an assistant who will rename nameless tonight. I still love him. And I'm still friends with him. But I had put him in charge, and he was taking the groups down there. And I, I don't I even remember how many he had. It was a lot. The church that they were going down to help and to build banyos was down in a place called Cancun. Maybe you've heard of it. It's quite the vacation spot, I hear. So they get down there. And now he's got this whole group, and they get hungry. Well, they went out to dinner. And they went out to dinner at a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> Go figure in Mexico. So they went out to dinner. And as a joke, one of the young men said, well, I'm going to order me a margarita. And my assistant said, do what you will, brother. It's your liberty. So he did. In front of everybody who was sitting there at that table. Now, think about this. These guys were on a mission trip. Okay? They're on a mission. They've got people in their group that they don't know where they stand on that liberty issue. You understand what I'm saying? That hadn't happened. I'm sure they weren't 10 minutes out of that restaurant before I got my phone call from Mexico. I'm not a legalist. You know I'm not. If you've been listening to me for any amount of time or years, you know I am absolutely given the grace and the liberty we have in Christ. I cannot tell you how infuriated I was that day. So they were down there for a week or two. When they came back, I made it a point that I would be one of the main cars that went to the airport to pick up my leadership. <laughs> And one of the guys that went with him was a dear brother in the Lord. 
little Pentecostal guy, just loved Jesus. He just, he'd been doing missions, man, all of his life. He just loved to do it, and he just wanted to go down there with us. He got in the car in the driver's side, had some young pup in the back who was about 21. As soon as they got in the car, the kid in the back starts telling me the whole grueling story. And I told him, I said, well, brother, I said, I love you, but I'm ashamed of you. Not because you took a drink, but because you didn't have enough discernment. Having known the word of God and having been taught the word of God, knowing what the apostle Paul says right here in 1 Corinthians, that you didn't take enough consideration that you might make somebody stumble because what he didn't know was the man who was sitting next to me had been an alcoholic for a long time and had been delivered of that. And even it breaks my heart even thinking about it now because I remember him looking over at me and he goes, Pastor, if it means anything to you, I didn't do it. You know, and he got the wrong message because I wasn't, I wasn't upset about them doing it. Do you understand? It was a fact that they took no thought of making somebody else stumble. This is what Paul's talking about here. We're not talking about infringing upon anybody's right or liberty. No. What he's saying is that your liberty needs to be kept at least in check if it's in regard to a brother who might be weak in the Lord. That's what he's talking about. We want to walk in love. It's not an issue of whether or not we should or shouldn't. We don't walk by rules and regulations. We walk. All things are lawful to me, Paul said, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the bondage of any, Paul says. Look at verse 11. He says, and through, by, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? Question mark. But when you sin so against the brethren, you see he calls it sin, and wound their weak, their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make thy brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I should make my brother to offend. Like I said, I'm sure that there are those who will say, well, why should my liberty be given up for the sake of someone else? Why should I do that? Are they not in reality bringing me into bondage if I permit that? It's a legitimate question. I think the answer is absolutely no. That's not what's being said. Paul's not suggesting that we give up anything. What he's suggesting is that if you have liberty, that you, and you know that it's controversial, and you know what I'm talking about. Drinking's controversial. Shouldn't be, because the Bible's very clear. Drunkenness shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible's clear on that. He even tells Timothy, drink no longer water, but a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thy often infirmities. But contrast that with what it says in the Psalms. Woe unto him who lingers long at the wine. You know, who has redness of eyes. Balance it out, gang. It's called having discernment. You know, the whole scripture, the whole thing. So often, we don't do that. And somebody gets hurt at it. Paul's not suggesting that we should give up anything. If you have a controversial thing, I told you, the, you know, we talked about the issue of cigars. I love cigars. <laughs> I love them a lot. I just don't smoke them. Because I got myself hooked on them one time. 
And it took me for a long time to get off of it. I remember telling myself when I said, man, if I ever, you know, because I liked him. Charles Spurgeon liked him. You got to be good. <laughs> you know, but you can get hooked on that stuff. You know, you allow yourself to get caught and brought into bondage. It's not good. So there's controversial things, but I, you know, you got to be careful who you do that in front of. Wherefore, he says in verse 13, if meat make thy brother to, stand, to offend, I will eat no flesh as the world stands, he says, lest I make my brother to stumble. Like I said, Paul's not saying that you shouldn't do anything, but you should be conscious of your brother or your sister. You know, I like Romans 14, 14, and you remember as we studied through it, he says, I know and am persuaded that nothing, and nothing means what, gang? Nothing. That nothing is unclean in itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. That's what Paul's talking about. It is impossible, according to Scripture, to violate your own conscience. Now, psychology will tell you other. They tell you that they can talk you out of something new. To violate your own conscience is impossible. When a person's totally convinced of something, whether it's good or bad, regardless of the reason they're convinced of it, it's almost impossible to remove them from it. So to violate your own conscience, you don't find it in Scripture. This is why Paul says, listen, to anybody who esteems something to be unclean, to him it is unclean. It's just the way it is. That's why I don't seek. I've had many people tell me, I mean, you, you can't be in the ministry as long as I've been and not here at all. And you hear a lot of strange things that people believe. And hold to be true. Not based in scripture. Maybe not based in anything. <laughs> maybe grandpa told it to them. Maybe, maybe Uncle Jojo. Who knows? But they hold these strange, weird things. And I don't seek to change anybody's mind on those. It's, it's just not my job. I'm not trying to convince you that you shouldn't hold that. That conviction. Now I might try to find out if it's really your conviction. Because sometimes people will inflict that stuff on somebody, and I might try to help you out that way. But if it's really your own personal conviction, even if I think it's weird or stupid, hang on to it. I, you know, it's, I'm not going to try to remove you from that. It's not my job. If you have that, and you really feel that something that you're doing you shouldn't do, or maybe you're not doing it, but you just feel strongly you shouldn't do it, don't do it. Because if you do something that you feel that strongly against, then you're violating your own conscience and you will pay the consequence for it. It's going to bother you to no end. Now, I put a little mark here because we're living in a time of the offended. <laughs> I'm sure that it wasn't the case in Paul's today. We are living in snowflake heaven where everybody is offended by anything regardless of the size or whoever said it. They're offended by everything. Now, how do we deal with that? Well, I don't. I just teach the truth and let the chips fall where they may. Some people will like it. Some people won't. And I can't worry about that. But how far are we to take that? Now, keep it in mind, within Christendom, there are those who believe that anything is a sin. Anything. And unfortunately, we're living in a time now that within many denominations, there's many who believe that nothing is a sin, that you can wallow in anything. And so there's no uniformity. There's no understanding. 
as far as Scripture is concerned. Does that mean that I, as a Bible-believing Christian who stands in the liberty of Christ, should alter my way of living in Christ in order not to offend? The answer is no. That's not what Paul's saying. Oh, Romans 14, 22. He says, thou hast faith, have it to thyself and before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Wow. Well, that clears it up. And it does. That brings it all down to earth for us. So what are we to do? Will you have faith? Have it unto yourself and before God. Here's something the Lord showed me when I was just a young, young Christian. After reading this verse. A liberty is only a liberty if you have the ability not to do it. Let me rephrase that for you. Let me, I'm not rephrase it. Let me restate it. A liberty is only a liberty if you have the ability not to do it. Because so often we hear of liberty, we think of only the things that we can do. Why? Because I want to do those things. But if your liberty becomes bondage, it is not liberty. You understand that, right? Now you're in prison. Now you're in prison. Now you have to do it. Now you're being driven by your bodily appetite. You're not walking in the spirit and you're not walking in love. That's the problem with it. So a liberty is only a liberty if you have the ability not to do it. Think about this. So often people want to exercise their liberty but they only want to exercise their liberty in the presence of other brothers and sisters in the Lord. Why is that? Because misery loves company, my friends. Always has, always will. Now, I had a, a short stint for a couple of years. I worked in the prison system. I was a guard at Iowa State Maximum Security. And I learned a really interesting lesson there. Almost every person in that prison, not everyone, but, but a great number of them, have what we call a fall partner. Do you know what that is? A fall partner is the dummy who the other dummy talked into helping him perpetrate a crime who never would have done it on his own. You understand what I'm saying? And there are Christians who live the same type of life. They want to get around other guys who are doing things that, that they themselves maybe don't have the conscience to do because they're not that mature in the Lord. So they'll get around somebody who is in order to do it. And the next thing you know, all it does is cause problems in their life. It's a fall partner. That's not what you do. Paul says, look, you have faith, have it under yourself and before God. You know, if it, I, I've had people come to me and, and so often and say, well, do you, do you think that it's okay to have a glass of wine? I say, brother, I think you should do whatever the Lord tells you you can do. But can you do it by yourself? Can you simply sit there in the presence of God and enjoy whatever it is that you're doing? Blessed is that man, Paul said, who condemns not himself in that thing which he alloweth. It's, it's not hard to understand. So as we're dealing with the issues of liberty, Paul's going, look, don't make somebody else stumble. Not everybody has that knowledge. Not everybody is that mature in Christ. Not everybody can do those things. All things are genuinely lawful. But not all things are expedient. Not all things are suitable for our purpose. And he goes on, you know, and of course, and says, for the sake of your liberty, do not destroy a brother. We don't want to do that. We want to walk in love. Romans 14, 22, like I said, seems pretty simple and cut and dry to me. 
You have faith, have it unto yourself and before God. You know, that's how you know that you're genuinely walking in liberty when it doesn't matter to you that nobody knows that you do those things, whatever that thing might be. It might not even be mentioned in Scripture. So often, you know, people, they, they, they you know, let's face it, man, in Christendom, people do all kinds of things. Whether they think it's good or whether they think it's bad, there's an old adage that says, if you've got to think about whether it's good or bad, you probably shouldn't do it. You know what I mean? Just stay away from it. You've got to think about it. But if you have the knowledge of Scripture and you really are walking in liberty, just be conscious of, of other Christians. Let's go ahead and start 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 1. Paul dives now into the issue of his apostleship. He says, am I not an apostle? Question mark. Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not my work, are not you my work in the Lord? All question marks. Today we see a lot of people who use the term apostle in conjunction to themselves. Now, Paul gives really what the definition is. An apostle, according to biblical definition, had to be somebody who knew the Lord and who also was a witness to his resurrection. That was the biblical definition. But today, there's all kinds of people who kind of use that title. You know, apostle so-and-so, apostle this. And today, it's more leveled towards people who start churches. Is it legit? No, I don't think so, but... You know, it happens. But Paul here is, is, is talking to these guys because the Corinthian church by this time had began to question his apostleship. And so he says, am I not an apostle? Verse 2, he says, if I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of my apostleship are you in the Lord. There will be times in life, in ministry, my friends, when people will question <laughs> what you are in the Lord and what you are in the body of Christ. Do not allow that to stifle you in your ministry. What is the proof of your ministry? It is fruit of people coming to know Christ. Or whatever your ministry happens to be, is there fruit of that? And you have to be able to say yes. you got to see fruit. You want to see fruit. That's what you are. That, that's how you know that you're doing what God has called you to do. It doesn't matter whether somebody acknowledges it. They didn't want to acknowledge it to Paul. They didn't want to call him. Paul says, even if I'm not an apostle to others, undoubtedly I am to you because you are my workmanship. You are the proof of my ministry. I look at the letters that I get from people who listen to me on radio and who have been listening to me on radio for years and years and years and who download, and, and, and you know, every now and then it's a blessing because you'll, you'll get a letter, you'll get something from them who say, man, you know, I came to Christ, I mean, just the other day. Had a, a fellow who was working in my garage, just fixing my floor. You know, and I went out there and just to, just to talk a little bit, you know, because I am a preacher. And we struck up a conversation, nothing heavy, just looking for a window, you know, a little opportunity to plant a little seed. Found out, you know, he was, like so many of us, had had few issues. So I said, hey, I said, uh, let me give you a copy of my book. Read it. Will you read it? Yeah, I'll read it. So he fixed my floor, did a great job. 
about a week later, just the other day, I was having a really bad day that day. Just irritated, you know. And what was I questioning? See, Satan will use other people, and he'll come in and he'll whisper in your ear. Ah, it's not what you are. And I questioned it, man, just for a split second. Wow, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not. My phone beeps. And I would read it to you, but I'll give you the gist of it. He said, I finished your book. And he says, man, he says, I've been battling this. And he went on and he said, but you know, a lie is a lie is a lie. I want you to know that you've led me back to Christ. That's fruit. That's what you are. You're a preacher. You're a pastor. You're a Bible teacher. That's me. Now you're something else. Maybe you're the same. Maybe you're listening to me on radio. Maybe you're having the same thing. See, Paul was questioned. But Paul did not allow their questioning his position to even deter him. He says, even if I'm not unto others, undoubtedly I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship is you in the Lord. That's why as a Bible teacher, I always look for those students, man, those people who get it. And I know I talk about it a lot, and I know that other people probably get sick of hearing me mention certain people in my life that I'm familiar with. But when I find somebody who's young and, and they get it, man, I just can't help but talk to other people about it. I go, man, I wish you could meet this, this person. Because, man, they just get it. The lights have come on. And it's such a great thing to see. Verse 3, he says, My answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat, to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as the other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas have not the power to forbear working? And he's asking them a question. He's going, look, all the other apostles don't work. They live with the gospel. He says, or, don't I, or me and Barnabas, the only two that don't have this ability. These guys were really getting on Paul's nerves. He says, who goeth to warfare at any time of his own charge? Who does that? It's a question. It's rhetorical. You know the answer. Nobody. Or who feeds a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth should thresh in hope, and, 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 and should be partakers of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing that we shall reap your carnal things? If we have sown unto you, excuse me, verse 12, if others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power. I like that. This is what I like about Paul. He says, even though I'm allowed to do it, I have not done it. I've not done it. Look what he says after that. I've not used this power, but suffer all things. Look, he says, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Now for all the years that I pastored, 
I never took a salary. And I'm not telling you that to pat myself on the back. I just didn't do it. Why didn't I do it? I didn't need it. I was a businessman. I wasn't filthy rich, but I wasn't poor. And I'm still not. I didn't need it. And I remember the first pastor's conference I was sitting in. It was a tiny huddle. I wouldn't even call it a conference. It was a huddle. About 14 of us, just in Ohio. We was meeting up in Canton. And I remember they were all sitting around. I was the new kid on the block. This would have been like 96, 97. I was the new kid on the block, and so I was kind of keeping my mouth shut because even a fool, if he keeps silence, thought to be wise when you're around a bunch of guys who've been around it for a long time. So I kept my mouth shut, and they started talking about the issue of being in full-time ministry. And Ed Gaines, who became a really close brother of mine, and who's home with the Lord now, but much older in Christ than me, who had done 10 years in prison for drugs and alcohol and you name it, drug dealing and stuff, but yet had become a mighty man of God and we had a worldwide radio ministry. It was huge. And I remember Ed looking over at me and he says, so uh, Doug, he said, are you, uh, you, uh, you full time? I says, I don't know any other kind of ministry there is, brother. It's all full time, ain't it? <laughs> I really meant it. I mean, I didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah, it's full time. 